this is David Krulowicz, and welcome to Moving Block, a podcast about cities, transportation, and anything else on my mind. You can subscribe to my show in iTunes by typing Moving Block into the search field. This podcast is also available on SoundCloud and other platforms. Have you ever thought about how people in wheelchairs navigate the subway system? Today, I sit down with Chris Pangolinen, Program Director at Transit Center, a transportation think tank based in New York City. We discuss the trials and tribulations of riding the subway in a wheelchair. We also discuss the state of accessibility in New York City and how local government can improve on making New York more accessible for all. Without further ado, Chris Pangolinen. Okay, so do you live in Manhattan or, or in, in the outer boroughs? Yeah, I live in Brooklyn, downtown Brooklyn. Okay, right near me. I'm right in downtown Brooklyn. Oh. Um, and do you take the train uh, to get to work every day, or how do you get to work? Yeah, I mix it up. Um, if the weather's nice, I'll go across the Brooklyn Bridge in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's the 4 or 5 from Borough Hall to Bowling Green. And what happens when you arrive at a station and the elevator is broken, let's say, from the platform to the street? So you've left Borough Hall... You've gotten to Bowling Green and the elevator's down at Bowling Green. What happens uh, What happens then? Yeah, and that has happened a number of times. Um, one, I get mad. And then two, I get over it and have to figure out what to do. And there's two options. One is I can ask a fellow passenger um, to carry my wheelchair up the stairs, and I'll, work, I'll walk up the stairs with a pair of crutches that I carry around. And then they'll bring the wheelchair to the top of the stairs. Usually they're really nice and they wait for me. And then I sit in the chair and go on my way and thank them. That is annoying because it takes time. And then I, um, it's risky because I'm not really that great on stairs. And I have to ask a total stranger to carry my you know, most valuable possession um, up the staircase. The other alternative is to go back up to Fulton Street and then walk down from Fulton back down um, to the lower Manhattan area. But the problem with that is if the weather's bad, you know, it can be walking in the rain or the snow. So both are bad options. And so when you're going into a subway station uh, in a wheelchair, how do you uh, negotiate the turnstile area? Is there, a, there's, I, sometimes there's a door to the side or how, how does that all work? Yeah, unlike any other city, New York does not have any wide turnstiles. So if you have a stroller or luggage or a wheelchair, you need to get the gate agent's attention and show them that you swipe the metro card on a regular turnstile, turn the thing manually, and then they'll pop the door open for you from inside the booth. Um, you can also, which takes time, but I've done this too, is get the card with a special magnetic strip on it, which will open the back, the wide gate for you. That works for residents, but for really for people who are tourists or just visiting, they don't have time to get that card because it takes a few weeks and months to get it. Um, and so they have to do the slow way. Um, which hopefully with this new fare payment procurement will do away with that completely and get wider turnstiles. So you're saying most other cities have wider turnstiles that can accommodate people with luggage or in wheelchairs? Exactly. Um, if you look at BART in the San Francisco airport um, or any other stations, they have wider gates knowing that people need that. Now you've worked for a number of other transit authorities, correct? Correct. And how would you rate New York City Transit in terms of accessibility compared to um, other ones around the country? It's the least accessible by the two most important measures, which is percentage of stations accessible, we're the lowest at 23%, and the uptime of our elevators, we are at 
95%, which sounds good, but is actually equivalent to two weeks a year that the entire system isn't, isn't accessible. Of course, that's scattered throughout the year, but that's it's really bad. If you look at Chicago and Boston, which are both old systems, just like New York, they are at 70% versus our 23%, and their uptime of their elevators are above 99%. So Transit Center put out a report recently called Access Denied, um, discussing this topic of accessibility in the New York City subway system. Something that struck me as interesting was that there's a number of stations that have elevators but are still not ADA accessible. Can you describe what that means? Yeah, there's a couple of cases. One is the older stations, and two are the newer ones that are still older stations, but newer elevators that haven't got all the way down to the platform. And the older ones like Clark Street in, in Brooklyn Heights or like 181st Street, I think, um, or anyway, in Washington Heights on the A, there's a couple. Um, there's, there's stairs that you're required to either get to the elevator or to get off the elevator onto the platform. There's just a very unfortunate construction method from the 1900s. Now, do you ever try to ride in those stations, or is that just too tricky for you? Um, I, well, you know, when I was a tourist, I accidentally did once at the Clark Street station, not, not realizing what that meant. Um, and there are a set of stairs to get there, but I, I consider those, um, I consider those stations off limits, uh, just like if they didn't have an elevator. How much do you ride the bus system, considering it's all all the buses are ADA accessible? Correct, all the buses are yes. And how much do you ride the bus system around? Um, not that often, maybe once a week or so. Um, I commute primarily by subway and get around uh, for other purposes by subway primarily. Um, the bus is a good backup though, and yesterday I actually had to use it because the Grand Central Elevator was out. So I took the A train from down from J Street to Port Authority, and I had to take the M42 across town back to Third Avenue. That added, mind you, 45 minutes to my commute, because I had to go way out of the way and take a bus. Um, but it was there. I mean, the M15, however, is a good one because that serves the east side where there is no subway. So whether or not you have a disability or not, the M15 is great for that neighborhood. So, I mean, that takes quite a amount of planning to think about, okay, I have to take the A train to a different stop and then transfer. I mean, that's, that's it sounds like a pain in the neck. Yeah. I mean, it was like 10 extra minutes of planning yesterday to figure out, I mean... I knew Grand Central was out, thankfully, but it still added time to plan and then time to travel. And how accurate is the website showing um, showing the elevators being in and out in the, in the subway system? You know, it's probably about 80 to 90 percent, which is decent, but not, not good enough. Um, just this week, I've encountered two elevators that were not on the website, Barclays and... A decal, so there were no warnings. So I ended up getting to those stations without an elevator. Um, and again, had to climb the stairs, have friends carry the chair up. When, had I known, I could have gone to a different subway station and been okay. Can you describe what Accessoride is? Sure. Accessoride is what New York calls its paratransit. And paratransit is essentially a fully accessible door to door service that brings people with disabilities who cannot, for um, a number of reasons, ride the subway because it's inaccessible, or perhaps their disabilities are prevent them from riding the bus as well. Now, Accessoride was, I mean, paratransit in general was supposed to be a, a temporary measure until all 
transit agencies became fully accessible um, at least maybe a couple decades after the ADA was passed in 1990. But in New York, what you're seeing are a series of bad decisions by board members who decided that they'd rather be uh, litigious and not build elevators and rather push people to access a ride. And so now you have a half a billion dollars a year being funneled down Accessoride when that money should have been spent on elevators to make the entire system accessible. And rather than a one-time payment plus maintenance of elevators, instead we have this sinkhole of Accessoride, which has terrible service, it requires 24-hour reservations, so no spontaneous travel. And 24-hour reservations? I yes. mean, that's like... That's a huge pain in the neck. Yeah, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to go out to dinner tonight, or oh, I'm going to go see a friend tonight. You need to make that the day in advance. Um, and that kind of lack of spontane- spontaneous travel, um, you know, is a big hindrance to people. And we really should, you know, the, the best time to plant a tree was yesterday. The best time to save money was also yesterday. But th- with elevators, yes, we made mistakes before, but today we can make, we can correct those mistakes and start investing in elevators as opposed to Accessoride for the next 100 years. Do you know how much, or has have there been any estimates on how much it would cost to make the New York subway system fully ADA accessible? You know, it it's interesting to see what that would take. There's 355 stations out there. Um, and so it would, take a, it would take resources, definitely. What's unfortunate though is the MTA hasn't committed at all to a plan of any action. So without a plan, we don't even we can't even get an estimate of, of cost and we can't get any any willpower to do it. So what I what I think when it comes to cost, it's something that the MTA needs to take an initiative on and say, okay, we're gonna make all these stations accessible. This is our philosophy, this is what it's gonna bring the benefits to New Yorkers, and therefore uh, we will we'll find the, the cost in our capital plan in order to, to make it happen. Now, there are a number of stations being renovated right now on the R-Line in Astoria and in Brooklyn that uh, do not have elevators being put into them. Do you know what the story is there with those recent ones? Yeah. So that's part of MTA's Enhanced Station Initiative, and that included 53rd Street, Prospect Park, and Bay Ridge on the R, um, all relatively shallow under 4th Avenue stations in Brooklyn. And they just finished that uh, this year, but you know they didn't put any elevators in there. Um, they put artwork, they cleaned up the tiles, uh, did a lot of aesthetic work for $100 million, and yet no elevators. Astoria just closed two stations. Same thing again. These are elevated stations where elevators would be easier to build. Chicago estimates about $1 to $2 million for them to build elevators. So again, out of a $100 million budget, not $1 or $2 million is found for elevators in Astoria. The entire Astoria um, line on the NW is inaccessible today and will continue to be inaccessible after these renovations are done. And the board just last month approved another four stations on Central Park West to be rehabbed for another $100 million. And broken record, no elevators. Just anecdotal story, my friend recently had a severe ankle sprain. He lives Mm -hmm. in Astoria, and he was using crutches to get up and down the stairs. And when he learned that the the station was going to be renovated but without an elevator, he he just couldn't believe it. It was like, you know, 
yeah. with his temporary issue, just to think for anyone, you know, elderly people or even people with luggage that they're not thinking about this in any um, strategic way, I would say. No, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, if you're, imagine having a family, you know, if you need a stroller or two to push around, people are forced to either carry the stroller up and down the stairs or if they can afford it, they buy a car, which makes things worse in New York. Um, it's, it's very bad how we treat people who need elevators here. Yeah, Smith and 9th Street's another station that was renovated, I think, in the last five years. Yes. And they did, I think they improved the accessibility, but it's still not accessible there, right? It's not accessible at all, yeah. They might have added some, like, tactile domes on the platform and, and such, but there's no elevator. Mm-hmm. So there's still no way to get there. Now, in terms of boarding a train, for, for you, is... I've seen at least anecdotally that there sometimes can be like a two or three inch gap yeah. between where you're, if you're coming in on a wheelchair and getting into the train could be tricky. Have you ever had issues with that or how do you, yeah. how do you manage that? I have issues with that a lot. Um, so West 4th Street, J Street are good examples of where there's a, uh, and Burr Hall, are where there's large gaps, um, except in the middle of the platform. And mind you, those three stations I just mentioned are all... Um, quote, accessible. They have elevators. Mm-hmm. But you have to get to the middle of the platform to board the train in a wheelchair because that's where the platform is raised about two to three inches in order to make that gap less insurmountable. But you can imagine on West 4th Street, coming down the ramp, you see a train approaching, doors are opening, and you just get to the platform. Do you have time to go the 400 feet to get to the center to get in the train. You don't. The train's going to be gone by then. So this happens to me a lot, maybe once a week or more. Uh, there's a four-inch gap. I'm in the wheelchair. I know I can't mount that myself. So what I'm, I mentally what I'm saying is I'm going to get my front wheels in, and I'm just going to make eye contact with somebody, and they're going to see I'm struggling and pull me in, which is usually what happens, thankfully. People are very helpful on the subway. But, you know, the conductor might not see me, and they close the doors on me um, as I'm trying to get in. And it's just really bad. And for a lot of people who don't have a manual wheelchair like me or the, or the ability to pop the wheels up like I do, they can't get in, period, even if there is an elevator. And I think this is just more emblematic of the culture at MTA and of the leadership in the last 20 years that just, you know, doesn't care or it has not shown that they care about accessibility. So if you were, if you were let's say, an MTA board member, um, what would be your suggestion to the rest of the board and to the management at MTA about accessibility in general? Yeah, you know, as, as a board member, if I were on the board, or if I were talking to the board, you know, you as a board member are in a unique position in the city and state in that you, are, you have the ability to set policy in one of the most influential organizations in New York City. The subway touches everybody either directly or someone they know directly. And so what I would want is them to set a policy saying, we know that we were given a subway as a board member. I inherited the subway that was not built for people with disabilities. It was built for able-bodied people in the 1930s. But it's 2017. We're on the board now. We're going to start to take steps to correct this. So we're going to set a policy of 100% accessibility. And we're going to achieve that by asking staff to take a hard look at all 355 stations that aren't accessible and tell us what will it take to get elevators at all these stations. 
And if they come back with something that doesn't have all 355, I will throw it back at them again and say, make it all 355. And if there are a certain number of stations that are wildly expensive or they say it's impossible, I will say, no, go back and do it again and find out what makes this work. I want to plan for every station. And until then, we're never going to be able to achieve the full potential of the MTA subway system, nor of New York City. And I really wish somebody would say that on the board. And unfortunately, they just kind of throw their hands up and be like, ah, it's not possible. You know, that's not language that we use here in New York, not possible. Otherwise, New York wouldn't be New York. People here every day solve the impossible, supposedly impossible, and the MTA could do it too. In the Access Denied uh, report, it mentioned that Boston and Chicago are much more accessible than New York in terms of their subway system. That's right. How were they able to do it? Um, how were they able to make it more accessible, and what lessons could be learned from them? Both of those are old systems. Chicago has elevated and subway in a lot of older parts of the city, and Boston is even older, and many other stations are underground. So what the big issue with those two cities is they had the willpower and made the decision to make their systems accessible. Now in Boston, it took a little nudging. They were sued uh, on the grounds of ADA violation in 2004 and made a settlement in 06 and committed to 100% accessibility and improved reliability of their elevators. In two years, this is fantastic, they went from 90% 90% uptime, which is horrible. That's like um, one day every two weeks with elevators don't work in the entire system, to 99.9% in two years, uh, which is equivalent to three days. So from, from essentially 25 to 30 days a, a, a year with no elevators down to three days because they changed their contractor and set high standards for that contractor to maintain their elevators better. Um, And they also adopted, rather than resisting the lawsuit and say, okay, fine, we'll just do the bare minimum and go back to our old ways, they took in a culture of accessibility and inclusivity in their system that it's just part of the culture now at at the MBTA. In Chicago, a similar thing. I don't don't know if they had a lawsuit. I don't think they did. But the successive mayors, from Richard Daley now to Rahm Emanuel, have declared that, yeah, accessibility is just something we do in Chicago. That's just like building stairs or, or providing clean water to our citizens. Elevators are something they're going to do. And until that kind of culture comes to MTA, where now it's like a checkbox or a, oh, we have to do this, that attitude needs to go away and it needs to become something like what Chicago and Boston have adopted. And that's the lesson we should learn. Do you use accessible taxis often? I have started to in the last six months or so. I don't take taxis that often, maybe once every couple months for a late night or if I'm coming back from LaGuardia Airport, which is a little difficult by transit. Um, But now that I've seen that there are more yellow cabs that are accessible and that if I plan ahead and wait and have 20 minutes to wait, I will try an Uber or Lyft, what's called a Wave, wheelchair accessible vehicle. Then I'll go for that, and it's actually really pleasant once they come. The problem is there's not enough of them. And with Uber and Lyft, the wait time is like 20 minutes versus if you just get a sedan, it's like two minutes. So 
you have to plan ahead of it. Not 24 hours like Accessoride, but still, it's a little longer. I recently saw a, I believe it was an accessible green taxi mm-hmm. where you boarded through the, what you the call back. the trunk? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the back. But it seemed like if you were in a wheelchair, it'd be a little tricky to come off the sidewalk and then go down into the street and then board that way. Do you, have you ever had issues with that? or? Yeah, I usually, if I see a cab and I'm pulling them over, you know, hailing them, I'll just sort of point and I'm like point down the block. Like, hey, let's meet there. And so they, they see I'm pointing at the ramp. And so they'll pull up to the ramp. I'll go on the ramp and be able to meet them there. Because you're right, there's no way I can just hop off the curb between parked cars to get into the, the taxi. Um, and I think the taxi drivers appreciate it too. It's easier for them to, to load and unload. And that's okay. That's a minor issue. Um, I think it's something that drivers and passengers can, you know, eye contact and make, make work. Now, in terms of sidewalks, uh, how would you compare New York in, to some of the other places you've lived in America in terms of um, uh, sidewalk ramps? New York's a tough one, too, and this one I don't understand because sidewalks are not, I mean, they're everywhere, and they're a lot more simple to solve from an engineering point of view than than elevators and subway stations. If you look at San Francisco or Washington, D.C., where I've lived, or Chicago, you just don't even think about it. It's just, there's a ramp, it's up, up and down, up and down sidewalks, very simple. In New York, for some reason, it's like this thing where it's... (laughs) They did, I don't know what's going on. The, the, the ramps are designed such that they're a little steeper than they should be. The water will pool right where your wheelchair will land. So your hands are all you know, full of garbage juice and, and rainwater, which is why I wear gloves. And then, well, because you're, you're moving the wheelchair right. with your arms. That's so right. you're touching basically anything that's touched the sidewalk that's splashing up. Exactly. And so when, it, when water pools in front of a curb ramp, most people have the ability to step over it or above on a curb. I don't. Sometimes, if it's really bad, I just stay in the street and be like, you know what? I'm gonna call. I'm gonna back up some traffic here. I don't care. I'm not gonna run my hands through that garbage. Um, so, I think New York needs to figure out one how to build more ramps faster and to, and to code, and two, figure out basic civil engineering drainage which every other city's figured out, and not allow water to pool at the bottom of ramps. And, you know, it's funny, it sounds very, you know, first world problems, if you will, but, you know, these are simple things that we should have taken care of years ago. And I think it's just emblematic of a lack of discipline culture in our, in our local government. Now, would you agree that a lot of subway elevators you take smell bad? I mean, <laughs> yes. And, I mean, do you think that's just a general maintenance issue on the subway system, or how does how can that be addressed? You know, it's a twofold issue, and, and actually, I'll give New York some credit here. New York, despite it being pretty bad, is one of the cleanest subway elevators that I've seen. I mean, it's it's not good, but it's compared to San Francisco, it's way better here. Um, Chicago is a little cleaner, and so is Boston. But, um, you know, it's unfortunate because the transit system is absorbing other issues that the city needs to be deal with, the society as a whole that we have to deal with and confront. Um, Homelessness, mental illness, and lack of public restrooms in general in the city leads to these elevators being fouled up. 
I think MTA does a decent job at trying with the resources they have to combat the issue. They could do more, possibly. They could hire more cleaners, inspect the elevators more often, perhaps you know every two hours or so. But it's tough. It's not all on the MTA, though. I think this is on the city and the MTA together to figure this out um, and solve this problem. All right, well, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a very interesting conversation. Yeah, and thanks for having me here. This has been great. You have just listened to the Moving Block podcast with your host, David Krulowicz. To learn more about accessibility in New York City, read Transit Center's report, Access Denied, which can be found on their website, transitcenter.org. Don't forget to subscribe to my pod in iTunes or SoundCloud. Check me out on Twitter for the latest updates. Thanks for listening.